Welcome to the MS Gym Podcast. I'm your host, Jody Feltham, and it's about to get real as we listen to the victories and struggles of our own MS Gym members. So let's dive in. Since the early months of 2020, news of COVID has filled our TV screens day after day. And unfortunately, so many of these news stories we've been hearing have been about the devastating effects of COVID in the long-term care facilities. Often when we think of long-term care facilities, we think of our aged relatives or neighbors. But long-term care facilities exist to provide an additional layer of assistance to people of all ages. And today I'm excited to talk to one of our fellow MS gym members who has been living in a long-term care facility for several years now, long before COVID showed up on the scene. Hello, MS Gym family. So glad you could join me today for another podcast. And today I'm excited to be interviewing one of our MS Gym members, um, another fellow Canadian. Her name is Heather, and uh, she's joining us from Alberta, Canada. So Heather, so glad you could join me today. Oh my, I'm very interested to do this. Great. So Heather, will you tell us kind of about how MS kind of showed up in your life? Well, in June uh, 2012, it showed up, but it was kind of a strange thing. Um, I was thinking I had an ear infection. And so I went to a clinic and he looked in my ears and said, yes. And he gave me a prescription. The next night, um, I'd taken, of course, the pills for about a day and a half by that time. There was a strange sensation down, went down my arm, and it was so subtle. It's kind of like your mind is saying, does something happen? And then you're thinking, yes, yeah, yeah something did. And, and so I asked my mom, I said, well, how do you feel if you're having this? And she said, well, I don't know, but why would you even ask me that? And so we looked at the information about the drug, and um, it it said different things, but it wasn't anything that had happened to me. But it did say if you feel anything to come in. So we went to another clinic, and the doctor there um, examined me. He said, you have symptoms of different things, but nothing really follows through. And... But he said, why would you think you have near infection? Your ears are perfectly clear. So, you know, I went back home and went to bed. And the next day I went to work and I realized I couldn't move my fingers to tight. And that is when I kind of panicked. And one of my coworkers took me to the hospital. And he, the doctor there that saw me was the first one that mentioned MS to me. So I was sent to the MS clinic in Calgary and um, they did tests, they did an MRI me and it was proved true to be MS. How old were you when you were diagnosed then? Uh, 46. So that was another reason that it seemed strange to me because I always um, thought of MS as being more, you know, I know a lot of my friends or heard a lot of people would get it actually in childbearing years so you know not not as old as 46 so that was another reason that it it all seemed so very strange to me to think that at 46 I could actually be diagnosed with something and they often would say that you know people would notice things like 
different times throughout their life that maybe they trip and fall for no reason or you know different things I had I had nothing no prior symptoms of it so 46 you were diagnosed did they offer you any treatment or did you pursue any kind of treatment at that point so when I went to the MS clinic and they were talking about steroids so my reaction was I don't want to have anything to do with this and you know, they hand you a pamphlet and it's got this long list of side effects. And, and for example, one of them I remember was depression. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, well, why would I want to take something that is causing me depression when I've just been diagnosed with a horrible disease? Like that didn't make sense to me. So I refused. They also um, were talking to me about disease modifying drugs. Mm-hmm. And Again, I was refusing them because I think the big thing is because I'm so scared of needles and I could not imagine myself giving me a needle every morning. After you decided medication was not right for you, did you explore any other avenues? Actually, I went to a health store and a young man there told me or he gave me a pamphlet about diet. Mm-hmm. And so they have a diet that's called the best bet diet. Mm-hmm. And I started going on it. The unfortunate part and, and one of my biggest regrets today is that I did continue on it. But I think my big thing was I'd come home from work and to prepare my food in a special way was just too much. Mm-hmm. So I gradually lost it and, and went off it and wasn't really paying that much attention to my diet. And I must say, I really regret that today because I doubt if I would be sitting in a long-term care facility if I hadn't paid attention to the diet. And you know, the, the choice of, of doing medication or even diet is so, is so personalized and, and it can be so variable. Um, right. And so many, there's like the Walls diet and there's the Swank diet. And, and it, it can be so confusing because some of the diets are actually in contradiction of each other. And I know, you know, talking to so many people in the MS gym, people go on the opposite diets and it works wonders for them. But then, you know, another person could be on the complete opposite diet and, and it works wonders for them. So it, it's such a hard thing trying to figure out this whole diet and MS thing, you know, and, and most of the diets all agree, right? Like cutting down on processed food, cutting down on refined sugars, like that's, pretty much what they, they see eye to eye in, but in regards to meat or saturated fat, like it can be so variable. And certainly any of the neurologists that I've seen, um, they don't talk too much about diet. Even doctors in general, they don't talk that much about diet and like no, no medical professional will seem to, aside from a naturopath, they won't seem to get behind any diet either. So it, it certainly can be a confusing and a very personal journey to to decide what you're going to do. Since moving into a long-term facility, have you made any changes to your diet? Unfortunately, in the facility, that one thing we don't get is is uh, a good diet. Okay, that is that is that is unfortunate, and I'm sure it feels like um, just another thing that's kind of outside of your reach, outside of your control, that you really. You know, you sound very dedicated that, you know, if you had it within your means that you would 
be choosing the healthiest things to nourish your body. So when you when you started off, when you were diagnosed, you talked about kind of this ear, this ear issue, and then your hands having the numbness. So how did how did things progress come in your journey from, you know, you weren't able to 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 do your job? Um, and how did it progress over like the next decade into as to to leading you into where you are now in a long term care? Well, I, w- I was still working for, I would say, a good 10 years. Um, it progressed probably the following year. So, you know, 2012 is when um, it got into, it, it kind of went into my feet. But I, like, I was still able to perform as, I'll say, a normal person. And, um, you know, didn't, didn't make that much difference to me. But then I was rear-ended. That seemed to be when I really started to go downhill and, you know, was, was getting so that like, well, for example, if I go grocery shopping, by the time I got home, I was so tired, I could hardly bring the groceries out of the car. So, and it was probably about that time that they decided that I could work from home one day a week, or eventually it got to being two days a week. And then I fell and I dislocated my left shoulder. And then a little late, bit later in June of that year, um, I fell and um, broke my kneecap. And I'm thinking in my mind that was about the end of my career. Like I, I did, I don't really think I went back to work after I broke my kneecap Um, so that you know even though I had thought in the very beginning that I was going to be able to work forever obviously that wasn't the case losing a career or profession is definitely a hard pill to swallow I know that this transition prompted you to pursue other medical treatments on the other side of the globe can you tell us about that? I went to Costa Rica, had the CSBI treatment, the liberation treatment done. And um, when I came back from Costa Rica, I had a, a UTI, I had got it when I was in Costa Rica. And um, one day I, you know, I couldn't even get, I couldn't even stand up. And I was taken to a hospital. And that was actually, no, I never went home after that. That would feel very uh, difficult. Like you going to Costa Rica to get this, you know, to get this pretty drastic procedure and then, you know, ending up with that infection and then kind of life changing permanently after that point. Like that'd be a lot to adjust to very, very quickly. Yeah. And I honestly think who would know what would have happened with the CCSBI treatment would I have recovered some or not if I hadn't have got the UTI? But I always felt that getting the UTI, it just changed the outcome of, of the treatment. And I wouldn't know what, what it would have been otherwise. And I, I know, you know, for myself and I know for many other people, it's, it's, always, it's always this, uh, this mind game that we play, you know, like what if or if if this hadn't happened or whatever. And like it, sometimes it, it feels safer, like thinking that if we had made another choice and we'd have more control, but like at the end of the day, we actually don't know what it, what things would have been like that. There's no way of, you know, time travel yeah. back 
board. So, so it, it is, it is very challenging. And I know um, just reading so many stories in the, in the MS gym though, too, about kind of the, the danger of UTIs and really how, you know, you think, oh, it's just a bladder infection, but how it really can affect your body, especially when you have MS, it can affect everything in your yeah. whole system for sure. Yeah. When I'm reading through the Facebook page and somebody has put in something about a UTI, like, oh, I always think, oh no, because, because I know what it did to me. It's so hard to imagine what they do to, to the body, but they really, they just do no end of crazy things a person's body so I'm always so sad when I read that and you know oh somebody you know, and it, like get to the doctor and get help for it you know it's so important to get to your doctor right away when you have one so I've said at the beginning that you know obviously we're we're both Canadian obviously the Canadian medical system is is different from different parts of the world and even even from you know America talking to some of my my MS friends in America and and even their choices of, of drugs and disease modifying therapies and the options, you know, that are, are in front of them and in Canada, it's, it's a lot different. But um, when we were chatting by email before you even said that um, even from province to province about um, you being um, moved to a long-term care, that was even something different altogether. So what, what exactly happened with that? The one thing, I'll say with the Canadian medical system, it is provincial, right? Every province has their own medical system. I guess for me, it, it's almost like a discrimination because you're, you're having to deal with what that province will, will pay for you and, and accept you. And my feeling is at that point, there should be a Canadian like there should be a, an all Canadian medical that you would become a part of until the the new province would pick you up as you know being a resident in their province. But I feel I just feel that in myself, if I could get to being um, well enough that I could go into an assisted living place, I could avoid all of that, and and you know I would I would just have to what would I say pay rent not not be paying for my medical care and certainly that's one of my goals with the ms gym is to be able to get myself to that to that position i'll say or that level how did you go about finding the ms gym on facebook i belong to several ms um, facebook groups so i don't know which one it was but one day somebody had mentioned that something about the ms gym and of course right away i i googled it and found the MS gym. And so I listened to Trevor and, and um, Ken Allen doing a presentation where they, like their presentation was kind of like, um, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it. So why would you join our gym without, you know, having a good at realization about what we are about? And so then I decided to join up. I'm glad you did find it when you did. I know I obviously, you know, with COVID and, and with everything going on, right, the, the whole idea of an online platform is even more appealing since all of us with MS are, are differently abled and stuff. And some people can go and, you know, work out in a gym, but COVID kind of leveled the playing field in regards to that because online became such an advantage. 
versus a brick and mortar building. But also with thinking of moving to Vancouver again, was the, the thought that, you know, by joining the MS gym, that it was something that, you know, it's online there. I would still have it in BC. So it, it really didn't matter where I was living and And especially if I, where I went to didn't have physio, I would still have the MS gym. So yeah, it was a great find for me to, to find it. So much in the news and media has been about, you know, how long-term cares have been so affected by COVID. And obviously a lot of your co-residents, right, with decreased immune systems and things like that, like COVID has really had a really negative impact, obviously, in long-term care um, facilities. So how how has that kind of played into, into your life in, in the long-term care home? Well, first of all, like I was a person that I loved to go out. I loved to do things. Um, I loved to go to the zoo, you know, just just to be there just because it was a pleasant place. I loved to go to park. So all of a sudden, I can't go out. Um, at, I'm fortunate that most of the time we've been allowed to move around in our building, but all our programs were shut down. So all recreation programs were shut down. All physiotherapy program was shut down. Various times, different floors would be um, made. We had where maybe an employee did come down with COVID. So then the various floors would be shut down. So all the residents on that floor would have to be tested. They couldn't leave their rooms. So even like for dining, you had to eat your meals in your room. Um, my doctor had advised me to eat my meals in the room. So I ate my meal in, in the room from March last year until Thanksgiving time. And at Thanksgiving, actually, one of the ladies suggested to me, like, really, you don't want to eat your Thanksgiving dinner by yourself, do you? And I was like, well, no, not really. So I went into the dining room and, and I continued to go there. They had to separate all the tables out so that there could be only two people for two persons per table. Um, at various times, like on my floor, you know, again, an employee would come down with COVID. So um, we'd be locked in a room, we'd all be tested. So, you know, when I'd hear of other people being on isolation for 14 days, you know, 14 days didn't seem very long. It didn't seem very long until they came out and, you know, could be doing such things again but 14 days I found was a very very long time and um, fortunately we've only had maybe like I think three or four incidents of um, uh, staff coming down with COVID and there's only been maybe two people in our facility that ever got COVID and both of them did recover so we've had a an amazing record when you know, we've heard of other places and what's been going on there. We've all been vaccinated now. We've had our second vaccination, so that positive thing for sure. That is encouraging to hear that. Um, like you said, the two people in your in your building that did end up COVID, they did recover. Because certainly, certainly, what you know, what we hear on the news and stuff like that. Certainly, there's been a lot of uh, not so nice stories going on in the long term care. So, so yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that that your story is a lot uh, different and a lot more positive. One of the reasons how I kind of got connected with you um, in the MS gym, you actually posted um, this really cool video um, with um, you and the physiotherapist, 
and uh, you you were um, kind of in between uh, two parallel bars, and she was helping you walk and just watching your feet go forward and and moving. Like it was it was really encouraging for so many of us to see that. So, um, kind of where has your journey started with that, and and where are you hoping to go with that? I'm hoping to be fully able to walk with a walker. Prior to, even to the MS gym, I've been able to transfer myself out of bed. Um, I could transfer myself onto the commode. Um, I can transfer myself into my electric chair. I can stand up in the shower. So I was doing a lot before. And we have at my facility an absolutely fantastic physiotherapist. We have such a great connection where anything I go to and say, I want to do. She says, okay, let's, let's go and try it. And so I stood for a long time. I probably stood for a couple of years at the bars. And then one day I got thinking when I'm transferring like out of my bed or I'm transferring, you know, onto the commode or I'm standing up, I'm actually taking a step mm-hmm. and I'm doing all this. So why don't we start and see, can I do more steps? What is it Trevor says that if you can take three steps, you can take 30 steps. Like, I think that's what he says, something like that. So it was kind of like, you're actually stepping. So why don't you try and do more? So we did. We, you know, I I went to her and I said, you know, I want to, I want to try and walk. And I did. I did. So it was so amazing to be able to walk. It's such an amazing feeling. And so, again, yesterday, I walked with a walker within the bar. So it wasn't, um, you know, I was in a safe place. If I, if I needed to, I could grab the bars. It went great. But I imagine that they'll probably have me walking in the bars with the walker for quite a while before I'm allowed to take it out of there. But my goal is by Christmas, I walk into the dining room with my walker. That's a phenomenal goal. And, and that's incredible. I, I love just hearing, you know, the hope and, you know, in your voice, Christmas isn't that far away. And just, you know, your sheer determination, like every time you go into the physio place, you're like, oh, I want to try this. What other goals do you have as you get stronger day by day? Often in the morning, they don't come in early to get me out of bed, not as early as I want to be. And so I've said to the physiotherapist, I want the, the night staff leave my wheelchair beside my bed. And, but even to be able to get on my bed and be able to start doing whatever I, I want to do for the day, I want to do that. So again, on Monday, the physiotherapist coming up and, and to check me whether I'll be safe getting out of the bed or not. And like I've said to her, I do it anyways. I do it. I go in and out of bed because I go to bed to do my exercises, you know, with the MS gym now and nobody is around me. And she's like, oh, yes, I know you're doing it. But, you know, she has to prove me so that she can tell it that the staff know that they're allowed to do it. And the night staff will bring my wheelchair to my bed. So, again, I'm, I'm trying to improve myself in more ways. And, and I'm sure, you know that it's so refreshing to, you know, the physio and some of the staff too, right? Like just that you have that desire to improve. And, and I'm sure that 
the negative stereotypes of long-term care people that they just kind of give up, right? And yeah. it's so encouraging, I'm sure, to the staff there to see you wanting to improve and, and trying and, you know, putting yourself out there. Actually, a nurse was speaking to me about that yesterday, kind of what is the difference between you and others? And I was saying to her, really, I think it's mindset. You know, I could talk to them about their mindset, but I think what to me is more important is to show them. And so that's why one of my goals is to walk into the dining room with my walker, because I think that will be more powerful than me trying to talk to somebody that to actually see this is what I've accomplished because my mindset has said, I can accomplish this. And I think that will be much more powerful. I'm hoping, though, that when I do that, that maybe that will encourage some of them to try also. It really sounds like you want to be the light and inspiration to point others towards hope. You are not just, I, I use this term, Lisa, you're not like a, just a one-trick pony because uh, the more I learned about you, um, one of our one of our moderators, Karen Senna, she actually sent me a link uh, for a recent interview you did on Global. So, you know, all these physical improvements and all these goals, but there's also another whole dimension to you as well, too. So um, in in listening to that, um, you and some of your fellow co-residents um, have actually written a few books. So can you tell me about that? We started from, well, we had a book club here and I don't know how it happened, but one day we decided that, you know, it'd be fun to try and write a book. And when we started, there were quite a few people that were coming and then gradually they kind of drifted off and there were just the three of us left. So in 2018, we wrote our first book and it's not a very big book, but we wrote our first book and we actually worked with a, a recreation therapist. So that book was called Lighthouse in the Myth. And when we were writing it, I realized that there were a few things that were kind of, you know, well, we had started a map. So, you know, we had talked about someone, a young chap coming home and taking over his father's business. So I realized that we actually have some things, material here to work on to write another novel. And so I mentioned it to girls and that I was working with. And, and so in the end, they, they agreed, like, let, let's try, you know, writing another novel. So in 2019, we wrote one that was called Deep in the Mist. So at that point, we started to say, well, let's finish this off with a trilogy that, you know, we write these three books. And um, so we finished off our trilogy during COVID and we called that one Changes in the Mist. So we've always had a little bit of a romance in our books. We've always had a little bit of a mystery in our books. And obviously we tried to grow with our writing, you know, to what we were doing that get a little bit more. I autumn because my background is, an office manager. I assume the role of doing the, all the administrative work for our book. I kind of assume the role of doing most of the research for a book. So I would kind of write the base story. And then once a week, we would get together and um, discuss it and 
And honestly, sometimes you think we were arguing if you listened to us because we would be so animated about you know, what we could take out, what we could leave in, what we didn't like. Um, I remember one time they came and I probably read the first paragraph and they said, you can't do that. And I'm like, you know, my whole story, my whole chapter depended on, on this event. And, and so how, how can we make it work? And you know, we had so much fun at the end when, when we finally realized that, okay, well, this is going to work and, and we like what we're doing here. We would just laugh. We would just burst out laughing and, and we'd laugh so hard. Um, so, yeah, so we, we wrote these three books. And during COVID, of course, this was a, a major event for us because this was really something we could do and, and focus on and um, fill our, our time with and work on. I have a friend down in California who is actually a, an author. Finally, I had to email her and say, how would I do it? And she said, I'll publish it for you. Mm-hmm. And one of my former bosses did the artwork for our covers. So um, we ended up with three you know, published books that I'm kind of proud of. Um, I do have a question. I'm reading some of the, the, the backstory um, to it. There's a lot of Russian roots in it. So I'm, I'm curious where that came from. Well, there's stories. We, we created a, a village up um, in Canada's Pacific Northwest. It's up by kind of by Prince Rupert, but across the Skeena River. And actually in the late 1800s, where we kind of had unknowingly pinpointed where our village was going to be, there actually was a cannery there. One day when we were working on the book, and Diana said it reminded her of reading about when the Russian princes came to Canada and jewels were smuggled in. And so we decided to base our story about this village that we had created, called it New Petrograd. So because, of course, Petrograd was, is, a, is a city in in. Russia, we um, we have in in Alberta as a village or a place called New Norway. So we thought, okay, well, we would take this village and we would call it New Petrograd. And we had Russian immigrants come to Canada and settle in our village there. So there's that there is a Russian element. Not, none of us have any Russian in our background. We're we're not Russian at all, but it was just this appealing idea of these people come during the Russian Revolution and settle in Canada. And yes, our first story has some Russian jewels that are smuggled into our village somewhere. Wow. It, so, it sounds like, like you guys all kind of spurred each other on, like you have so much creativity, all the creative juices. And then the three of you kind of collaborating together, you come up with this very intriguing story and and a bit of a bit of romance and a bit of mystery in there so so it sounds like a really neat thing so so are there any other books on the horizon for you guys then I would say no because um I think all of us are myself for one like the the MS gym came along um I'm also doing some uh, training for an EFT practitioner so I'm focused myself in other directions. Okay. Um, 
So I would say, no, that we did our trilogy. We had fun doing it. Now we're going to focus, each of us are going to focus in another direction. But I can say that from working so closely with both Diana and Loretta, that, you know, if we see each other anywhere in the building, you know, there, there, there is a definitely special bond between the three of us that, that has erupt, you know, has come about because of the book. Now, I want to go back to your global interview. One of your co-authors, um, said this whether it was you or or one of them it says long-term care isn't the end you still get to live and and that you know that had a lot of weight to me and obviously it had a lot of weight to the reporter who was who is writing the article because I know often you know especially in like the whole thing with COVID and long-term care it has this kind of the stigma and kind of this negative connotation with it. And then reading something so refreshing saying, you know, long-term care isn't the end, you still get to live. Um, what has that really meant to you in your everyday life? How do you go about still living? Well, I think what it means to me is my life has no less value today. Like than when I, you know, when I was working, when I was living at home, I still have things I can do. It's just channeled in a different way. And often, you know, you, you hear the, the word about a new norm. And I'm sure everybody living with MS has had to find a new norm in their life. And I feel that's all it is. It, it's, you know, my life has just had a new norm, and, um, but it doesn't have any less value. Mm. I think those are such valuable words for myself and for so many other people, you know, diagnosed with MS, it kind of feels sometimes like it's, it is kind of like a, a death sentence in a way, or something that stunted your life. But, you know, to hear, to hear the adventures that you're going through, you know, with the, with the hope you have and the improvements you want to see and writing this book and some of these trainings you want to do, like there's obviously so much life in you and you know, all these negative things, you know, whether, whether we take them on or whether they're put on us by a, a neurologist or a doctor, like that's not the end of our story. And it's, it's so encouraging talking to you and, and hearing it from you, especially because, you know, living in a long-term care, right. It's, it's definitely a different, a different uh, dynamic and a different environment. And it's encouraging to hear that you live your life very much with purpose and with joy as well. So what advice would you uh, give to someone? Obviously, we're on all different stages of the disease and stuff. What would you say to someone who, you know, was recently diagnosed or, you know, it would be different for someone whose um, disease is kind of progressing. And then obviously to someone who is also um, contemplating the move. Uh, to a long-term care, what what advice would you kind of give to each stage? Well, I certainly think I my advice to a person that was newly diagnosed was to look at their diet, um, consider it what they can change, and look at some of like you say the Best Bite diet, the Wells diet, the Swain's diet. Um, I also definitely would tell them about the MS gym. You know to to get onto it right away because certainly somebody that was newly diagnosed hopefully they you could um, advert them from progressing very far by doing those things 
I would also tell them to look at, at their attitudes or, or any stresses in their life that, because I've also heard that stress has a very major part with MS. So I would also, you know, say to look at their and, and consider what their stresses are because obviously you just don't want it to progress. It, it's, much, it, it's much better to not have it progress very far than to have progressed certainly to by stage and then be trying to recoup yourself. What about someone who's kind of in that transition to, to a long-term care? Maybe they're getting home care, but they need a new level of assistance. What, what would you say to someone who is making that transition? One of the biggest things, you know, that people have so much fear around it. And, you know, I mean, it's not a life anyone would choose. That, that's for sure. But don't have a lot of fear around it because really you can adjust and you can make friends and your life can basically go on. It's just going to have to take that new norm and that new um, way of living. But it's not all bad. And you can find good and you can be yourself. You know, one of this was more from me going into a wheelchair really than long-term care, but they kind of, act, in my life, they kind of acted simul- simultaneously. But one of my friends said to me, you know, one of when I first went into a wheelchair that you've created a whole new life for yourself. And to me, that was one of the highest compliments anybody has ever given me that you, know, you, you I had found ways of, of making a whole new life. And hopefully I can continue to do that, that, you know, my life can continue to improve in, in, in ways like that. So Heather, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, you've given a lot of insight to myself and I know that um, there'll be so many people on the podcast just hearing about, you know, about your own journey and just, you know, really about you still living your life, right? Um, the whole yeah. idea that, you know, long-term care is, is, not the, is not the end of the road. You still live a very active life physically and cognitively and mentally and you're still engaging in the world um so my question is when when covid decides to finally leave us and you know the the doors are swung wide open what is the first thing that you're going to go out and do i think one of the first things i would do is go to either to the zoo or to a park one thing i love doing is photography and I think I'm going to go somewhere and just be very happy spending a couple of hours taking pictures. And I find it much more challenging from a wheelchair because, for example, I love I love detail photography and you can't get down close. I can't hold a camera steady. It tends to wobble on me. So it's a lot more challenging for me, but it's something I love to do. And so whether the pictures turn out good or not doesn't really matter. I've just had a good time doing them. And I imagine that's going to be one of the first things I'm going to do. That's wonderful. And, you know, like you have such an appreciation for beauty, right? And whether whether the camera, the pictures are shaky or not, you still get to get out there and, you know, live and, and see that beauty. So, yeah. Try to try to do something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
So yes, I think we will all be definitely glad uh, when freedom when freedom reigns once again, and and we can get back to you know whatever whatever our our new normal is. Um, right. But, but thank you so much, Heather, um, for talking with me today. Well, thank you. This is fun. Do you want to give a voice to your own story or learn more about the MS Gym? You can check us out at the msgym.com.